Thanks for listening to the Get Over Yourself podcast brought to you by Carol Fit Stationary Bike Program 8-Minute Workouts to Get Super Fit. Perfect Keto, the cleanest, highest potency ketone supplements. MOFO, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Let's get checked at home testing kits. Try lgc.com. Almost heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, the mind-blowing nut butter blend. And check out bradkearns.com slash shop my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. See, you can see stress and trauma beneath the skin. You can see how the muscles are held, how somebody holds themselves. When they're really unwell, you can see it. Somebody who is driven and perhaps distraught with their level of drive and they're in disarray, that affects the people next to them. Brain loves what it knows, and it will keep going because it bloody loves what it knows. So be curious, and you kind of trick the brain then, go, oh yeah, it's okay. so I noticed that I swear at myself when I drop something in the kitchen. All you've done is drop something in the kitchen, and we all do that. So why am I demeaning myself, calling myself names about a simple little Hey listeners, get ready for a very interesting show with a British psychotherapist, burnout and trauma recovery specialist named Anna Pinkerton. And she found me from all the way over across the pond and wanted to talk about workplace burnout, which is her specialty, working with corporations. I'm like, okay, sure. And that's an interesting topic. But this show really progressed to get into some deep insights and getting to the bottom of something that she calls inner brutality. That is the negative self-image, negative self-destructive thoughts that we all harbor. Witness the insights that I provided from uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, that we're operating 93 to 98% of the time from the subconscious and this flawed subconscious programming that we get in childhood manifests every single day in how we treat ourselves and how we think about the world and engage in self-destructive patterns and dysfunctional relationships. So you are going to love this show and some of her insights that really uh, provided a, a new perspective on topics that I've never heard quite described really nicely. Um, the starting point, and these are my uh, excited notes that I took during the show, so this is what you're going to get into. The starting point, if you're trying to achieve personal growth transformation, is to separate yourself as a person away from the lessons that you're trying to learn or the issues that you're facing. So you're looking for reasons rather than blame. And of course, this applies to the workplace environment. It also applies to relationships or personal, personal growth, personal work that you're doing on yourself. As soon as there's blame, there becomes shame. And that's when you shut down and you're not self-aware and you're not able to progress and transform. So you have to work on self-awareness before you even take a crack 
at Lifestyle Transformation. And you can see I was questioning her with, how does someone uh, sleep better and eat better so they won't be so burnt out at work? And she's backed us up a few steps. And once you get that self-awareness, then you can observe without judgment as so many great spiritual leaders ask you to be the silent observer of your thoughts throughout the day. So the show progresses with more insights along these lines. And then she coughs up this wonderful term, inner brutality. And in her 25 years of work as a therapist, she cites this stat that 92.7% of her clients uh, represent some form of inner brutality, these negative self-thoughts and self-beliefs that are manifested in day-to-day life. And we paint some extreme examples, but I also wanted to point out, and I referenced my own personal example, is I'm not uh, inclined to call myself an idiot and curse out loud if I can't remember where I put my keys. Uh, so I congratulate myself for that. But I also have to acknowledge that underneath the surface are these self-limiting beliefs and judgments and behavior patterns that I might not be aware of very well because obviously they're subconscious, but they're affecting my day-to-day behaviors. And a possible reason for being stuck in dysfunctional behavior patterns or non-rewarding behavior patterns of beliefs that are just lurking beneath the surface. They're not as overt as someone who's cursing themselves all day long and calling themselves an idiot out loud or under their breath. So Get ready because we are going to learn how to build companionability to self. Here we go with Anna Pinkerton. Learn more and take the burnout quiz at AnnaPinkerton.com. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. You just told me something very interesting, so I hit the record button, and I'm kind of surprised to hear that you're working with uh, a, a kind of a crisis here of people feeling fried from the incredible pleasure of working at home, which I I can't imagine anything but. But tell us uh, what the circumstances are as we we talk here amidst the the pandemic and the quarantine. Uh, But you're a a workplace burnout expert and uh, you're you're very busy these days. I certainly am. And I don't, I can't remember the last time I was this busy, quite frankly. Um, and I'm working. Um, I'm working with individuals outside of companies. They might have just found me, maybe on LinkedIn or something. Um, but a, a, a big tranche of my work is working inside companies where they know that there's an issue, but they can't quite put their finger on what it is. And I, it looks like um, for many, there's such, such a high anxiety because of. Um, because of the pandemic, but also what these companies came into the pandemic already with. So a bit like if you've got an individual that already had some kind of adversity, uh, stress or trauma, and then COVID-19 hit, um, you're already under-resourced. So so this idea of like working from home and not having to do the commute anymore and it's been eclipsed by the fact that there's this enormous thing that's causing so much anxiety in people. And perhaps um, the natural inclination when somebody's just really anxious is how can I put this on somebody else? Or how can I get that person to work harder in order to relieve myself of this anxiety? So that's what we're seeing a lot of is that it's, it's almost like a hot potato. <laughs> Let's, uh, I'm really stressed. Can you hold it for a moment or, or create or, or um, uh, 
provide me something that will help stabilize my own anxiety, whether that be a report, some statistics. Um, you know, it's like so intense, so intense. So these people are working at home with children at home often as well. Um, but the workload hasn't lessened for lots of people. It's got worse. And we know that that's the biggest component. The, not the only thing, but the biggest component to burnout is workload. Uh, yeah, I wonder if the workload is, in many cases, self-imposed or a function of uh, poor time management or poor leadership that's dumping all this work on you. Uh, because you know, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of interviews and and podcast content about uh, how you know if you don't take a nap, your productivity falls the rest of the afternoon, or if you yeah. aren't taking care of yourself, or if you're uh, you know switching between too many different uh, windows and and multitasking, all these things lower productivity, uh, which would equate to a higher workload, but it's not uh, it's you know, it's not literally a higher workload. It's just you're not managing and not producing uh, at your maximum capacity. Well, I suppose there's that going to be that confluence of those two things. So you've got somebody's own work ethic and their individual um, self-care or lack of it um, coming to meet the reality of workload. And, you know, I'm not sure whether it would be poor leadership, but it certainly is anxiety-led leadership and trauma, traumatized leadership. So then you've got a contaminant or a contagion, much like the virus, that is so um, so toxic, so overwhelming, that the, the person that receives those orders or receives that traumat, um, traumatized leadership can't help but kind of pack, panic and pedal and mobilize to deal with it. So it's not that they're not managing their time, it's that they can't because the because it's just, it's overwhelming. A bit like when the pandemic hit, we now are more used to being able to talk about it, what the restrictions mean, but, but when it first hit, it was so big. I don't know if you felt it, but it was just like, how can something be so big that, that everything in life will be changed for a while? Like It was just... It eclipsed everything, and I think that that's what's happening. So it's not that people are being shoddy with with their management of it. It's just that who would have known that something so big would have come along? Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just think I think there's been some really interesting parallels around contagion. You know, you've got this virus that's highly contagious, incredibly dangerous, and then you've got this um, anxiety pandemic. Uh, so you're saying in 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 the workplace, uh, these kind of dynamics might even predate the the big virus pandemic. In other words, oh, they're yeah, there absolutely. in the corporation just because they want to uh, make their profit goals, and the panic comes from within. Well, for sure, uh, for some, for sure, ha ha what they came into the pandemic with historically is definitely going to have an impact on how resourced they are to deal with now or certainly to have de dealt with the last three to four months. So that's how I see it. I see it like you're under-resourced 
or you were already you already had multiple external stresses and now you're faced this new stress that's um, so big we don't know how to handle it and of course we've got the, the you know that is now compounded by how long it's gone on for so the indicators of how we come through stresses how acute the stress is and for how long it lasts so you've got it kind of on both um axes in this sense so i think people are struggling you know they're starting to 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 bow under the the weight of of um of the the time and you're working with the typically with the organization's leaders or leadership team and so I guess when you come in there, uh, how do you detect uh, what the level of anxiety is or can you uh, ask leading questions to search for uh, areas where uh, they might be uh, struggling and in, in need of uh, some adjustment or some counseling? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I've got a trauma radar. I'm, that's my specialty, <laughs> right? So I'm 27 years in, so I've done thousands of hours of this. Um, and I just can feel it, so I get a sense of it. And you can see, you can see stress and trauma beneath the skin. You can see how the muscles are held, how somebody holds themselves. It's um, when they're really unwell, you can see it. And the other thing is, is that you tend to get a theme. So it, there's, you know, the trauma has a themes about it. So if you're talking to a leadership team and there's several people saying the same thing, or they look the same, you get a sense that okay. But you, it's like, it is a bit like a detective work, really. Like, how do you put this puzzle together? Um, but it's usually fairly obvious. And of course, in a way, it's um, self-determining because they've got me in as a trauma specialist to help them with the stuff that's tricky to see and tricky to talk about, usually. So I get to do those bits. One thing that occurs to me is that if some company is game enough to hire you to come in and have that level of openness and uh, you know self-reflection, it seems that they might even be uh, in the in the healthier category from a company who thinks everything's fine and, and bypasses right you know <laughs> right past the opportunity to to bring in an yeah. expert. Yes, and at some level, you're right. I absolutely believe that. But um, trauma is so pervasive that um, they are some way there. But um, what I'm finding is that the people that are coming forward generally have a sense that there's something pretty massive going down. So, and, and again, that makes me have so much respect for them to take that because they could easily just put it behind the blinkers some more and let it wreak its havoc. And the companies that come to somebody like me are saying, oh, you know, this is um, tricky stuff. It's really challenging, but we're not going to turn away from it. And because it will wreak the havoc. Uh, usually somewhat the, the, some of the, the problem has already got, got kind of into the dynamic already. Um, and my job is to assess what that is and then how do we kind of, um, how do we unpick it and then rebuild it in a way that's strong, even when people are somewhat under-resourced. Uh, so it is challenging. It's, but you're right. You're so right. You know, to, you know, for somebody to pick up the phone or send me an email, that's a big deal. You know, they're like, oh, crikey, you know, it, it's bad enough what we can see, but let alone what we can't see. 
So I'm, I'm very careful. I hope I'm, I hope I'm tactful as to uh, how I feed back what I'm finding for sure. Well, when that time comes and you're, you're very careful and tactful, it's still going to be probably a difficult conversation. I'm wondering how, how that looks when you, you do your discovery work, your detective work, and then you have uh, something to, to lay back on them. And I guess some suggestions too about how to change the, change the culture. What does that look like? What that looks like is I'm a big believer, even when I'm working with an individual leader of an organization or a leading role with people, is that I tend to um, help them uh, separate themselves as people away from the problem. So, And that's a really useful post-trauma um, treatment in any case. So I do that, but on a grand scale in an organization. Say, so look, this isn't about the individual. This, isn't, this is somebody who is now traumatized in your organization and they happen to behave in this way because this is how trauma plays out. So I give the feedback in a way that it doesn't point finger, it looks for reasons and not blame because as soon as you look at, as soon as blame is there, it's shame and then that's the thing that gets in the way. So I say, look, it's about reasons so that if we find the reasons for this, then we can start to unpick it and rebuild it in the way that you want it to be built for sustainability and like you say and for culture change for the future so generally that's how it's um received in in a a positive manner or certainly in a way that can be um palatable and therefore useful um and and of of value for them in the future because you know i'm going to leave the organization i do the troubleshooting i go right here's what here's what's going down here's how we can fix it bye bye and that's what you want you want to create so much value that it makes a change forever for them and it's the same with an individual you know if you blame you shame nothing gets done so that's really how it how it is I just go right this is what this is how trauma plays out this is this is what's going on and this is the process to the you know the the better culture the better understanding and to be able to sustain yourselves yeah, that little story seems to apply to anything, whether it's your, your individual, uh, you, you're an expert in PTSD also, you, you work in that realm, and it, it just occurs yeah. to me whether it's a relationship, a family situation, or a, a giant corporation, um, separating yourselves from separating yourselves as a person from the problem and staying away from, from blame, because mm-hmm. as soon as there's blame, there's shame. That's great. Put, it, put that to yeah. yourself, put that to your partnership, exactly. put that to your, your job. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. And and so in that sense, it's not really that fancy. It's it's you know, it can be challenging. um, But it's but in but you you just apply that same principle. And 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 I and I apply that also. Right. In my own life. And because there's nothing quite like being able to help somebody understand what's happening to them. And then be able to say to them, oh, well, this isn't about you as a person, right? This is about your wiring. This is about your trauma template. This has been wired in. So this isn't about you. This lovely person over here that's not aching and suffering or angry and out of control. There's this other person. This is the real you. And then there's this defense because you've got trauma or you've got overwhelming stress okay so people don't generally don't come to me and say I've got trauma or I'm traumatized even though that is the truth 
Um, they tend to say I'm stressed beyond belief and my head's going to blow off or something, you know. Um, so, yeah, but that, that is a gift for people to go, oh, it's not me. All oh, right, okay. Because as soon as the person internalizes it about themselves, the job is way harder because you've got to get through that first. That's a different wall altogether. Right. And, and I think in the workplace, it's sometimes pretty clear to make that separation. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, my uh, hypothetically, uh, my, my boss is a, is a good person, but um, he's a real asshole in the workplace. And so it makes for tough times, even though we play tennis on Sundays and uh, have strawberries after. So when that's the yes. situation and we clearly have a separation from the great person uh, away from the building and then inside that dynamic, how do we, how do we sort of uh, attack that angle if we already passed step one? Oh, I mean, that's that's where the um, educative side comes in, that if you educate everybody about what trauma is and what it isn't, how it plays out, then people get a sense um, of what they're seeing, because it's very easy in an organization, like you said, even with a family or in a relationship, or you're you're the asshole, I'm not, right? I want to, I, I, I don't know what's going on with me. I, I see you behaving like that. That looks like misbehavior to me. So I'm going to. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to throw this hot potato at you, whereas I'm all right. So that's the natural inclination in groups until you're really self-aware that you own it. And then or you go to somebody and go, you just don't seem like yourself. What's going on? Right. We don't tend to do that. But but if you educate everybody around what they're likely to see in terms of what trauma is, then they're talking the same language in a way. They're like, oh, okay, so you're overwhelmed. You're full. Um, you're not really an arsehole, so what can we do? What do we need to tweak to help you? So, again, it, is, it's, it kind of it all works together. It's like um, that fairground ride that it's moving. All the parts are moving, and they don't bang into each other, but they get to understand, okay, this is how it works. That would seem to be difficult at times with people in leadership positions because uh, part of that – part of that track as you rise through the ranks is you're going to get a, a personality type who's, uh, you know, driven, uh, you know, terribly competitive and all these dynamics that sometimes uh, counter the ability to be self-reflective and open to feedback and things like that, especially from people that they're managing, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they're the people that burn out, right? So they, everybody has a limit. They just don't believe they have. Yeah. So, um, but what you do for people like this is that, that you, you appeal to their intellect to help them start interpreting, using their intellect to interpret what's going on in the body. And um, one of the things in, that um, leadership, or people in leadership need to understand is that they affect people. People do what they see and what they feel, not what you say. So, again, it's that comes down to that contagion. And somebody who is driven and perhaps distraught with their level of drive and they're in disarray, that affects the people next to them and next to them. And so um, it can have two ways of impacting. One is an insidious rippling out which sounds quite gentle, but it's kind of sinister. Uh, but you've also got um, 
uh, leaders that are in disarray that have massive brutal impacts on people. Like like you said, you you know somebody well oh, he's a white arsehole. He's, no, actually the, he's in disarray. He doesn't mean to be an arsehole, but he doesn't know how to manage this overwhelm. So it's going to come out as some brutality, and then you've got big, um, quite nasty impacts where you have a a spat in the office, um, and then you withdraw from it. So you so it's there is this kind of um, slow poisoning of people. And then, or you've got this kind of brutality. And in fact, the brutality in a way is easier to see, but then people can go, oh, you're just an ass. So, yeah. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near-infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit Mito Red Light, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Mm. So you've been doing this for a long time, and I'm curious whether in recent years with hyperconnectivity and the boundaries of the workplace being... Uh, kind of broken down by technology is burnout and uh, the related things getting worse? 
Oh, I couldn't tell you the stats on that, but I can tell you anecdotally what people are saying to me that have properly broken down or been on the verge, um, that the 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 um, technology has taken people to a different type of um, trauma trigger. Um, I've actually worked with people that are triggered just by opening their laptop or seeing email on their phones. So there are some people that are so overwhelmed that I'm like, take that app off your phone. I'll come, I'll, let's do a live session whilst you open your laptop so that I can try to help you desensitize even seeing the email. So in, a, in that sense, your traumatization is right in your living room, right? Or in your bedroom if you've opened your emails there. Oh, that sounds heavy, Dr. Ann. I've never, I've never quite <laughs> encountered someone at that level who gets a stress response opening their laptop. But you're talking about a physical manifestation of these, uh, these, yeah. these burnout tendencies because the, the job is so stressful that uh, picking up and reaching for something, boom, you're in, you're in fight or flight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oof. You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. So sometimes... What the, it, it will deepen from there as well, but it will just even be the thought of opening it, <laughs> right? So, so right. and that's what trauma does. It it it, ha, it changes it, the thinking, um, and initially it may have just been a fleeting thought in somebody's mind's eye where they go, "Oh, I've got those emails I haven't attended to yet," or "How man, how many have I got to attend to?" Um, and then it starts to become attached to anxiety, um, breathlessness panic um, so it looks for some people I know this sounds extreme but it actually isn't because this is what happens to people in burnout and breakdown um, the whole system is sensitized to what maybe has contributed to the break in the first place so if it's the workplace or sometimes it's even a particular person within a workplace or the building that's the thing that becomes the trigger so I've actually worked with people that have got the, 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 the buildings to trigger. So, okay, right, well, we, we can work around that, like lots of people are in any case at the moment. They're working from home, or is there a different place you can go to work that helps reduce um, that kind of A different entrance, <laughs> like this celebrity yeah, going through the, uh, the alley and then into the back door instead of uh, the front door, yeah. Yeah, because oh, really what, what you have to do in, turn, in, in burnout, which is a trauma type of trauma in, in the treatment there is you try to reduce down the level of agitation so that and the sensitization so that the person starts over time to feel that they're mastering it and they become in control of it rather than it being in control of them. So that's really what you're doing in terms of post-trauma is that you're trying to dial the turn the dial down bit by bit so the system's not in trauma. Yeah. And these extreme examples of someone uh, driving up and seeing the building and freaking out, I think we can, we can relate, we can understand what that's like, but I'm also concerned about when you have this subclinical reaction. And I know I've had that in my own life where I didn't even realize um, that, you know, the, the dynamics of my, my, job, workplace, whatever was going on was bringing me down. I still walked around with a smile on my face and, you know, the self-awareness wasn't quite there until I, you know, some, something struck me where I could sit down in a park and reflect for 10 minutes that, hey, maybe I wasn't even in the right job or something like that. And I, I mean, that part's yeah. probably 
a whole nother challenge in your career. I mean, if you come come and meet with someone who's shaking, uh, well, they're, they're, they're scared to go work with the trauma specialist, Dr. Anna, that's one thing, but those people that are kind of marching along and might even fill out a questionnaire and say, uh, you know, six out of 10 for everything, everything's fine, it's okay, it's just fine. But underneath the surface, there's a lot of accumulated stress and trauma. I wonder how you crack that shell. Uh, what I try to help people with is, uh, obviously, if I, if, if I see an individual and they've come to me for support, then they're, they're already at that stage of awareness. They're like, wow, my life is on the edge and I don't recognize myself. You know, that that's, they've already got there. If I'm working in an organization, sometimes I come across those people who have uh, changes in thinking that they didn't think were related to overwhelm. So that's really helpful. So I can kind of presume that as a trauma specialist, I presume that oh, you, one of the things that might happen is that you start to have this gut deep dread of every day. Or I might say, and then oh, people go, oh, yeah, I've had that for like three months now. <laughs> or um, somebody's joy might go. So that's one of the initial um, emotions to that gets locked off when you're overwhelmed with stress is that there is little joy in things, even family. And I, I state that in my um, in the burnout awareness quiz, because that wakes people up when they have no joy about being around their own family. They're just like they feel really altered then. They feel very different. And so that those, if you can get those when they're glimpses or just fleeting thoughts, you're like, oh, right, something's out of kilter here. Am I working too hard? Am I doing what nourishes me? Am I looking after myself? Do I like myself? Is there stuff I need to attend to? If you get those, uh, if you get it at thought stage, you're, you're, you're lucky in a way, right? Which is what prevention education is all about. We don't want people to have to break down for us to take notice and look after them. That's too expensive in so many ways. <laughs> oh, gosh, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the, the personal health and self-care piece is pretty huge. And I'm wondering how that element comes in into your practice when you're working with the, the person with the asshole boss that doesn't sleep enough or exercise and eats bad food. Yeah. Well, I tell, first of all, I tell them not to give themselves a hard time about that because they've probably given themselves a good metaphorical kicking already, uh-huh. usually. So, so the way that I approach that is that you need to be able to be self-aware so that you can self-care. Because quite frankly, by the time I see people that are um, somewhat breaking down, is that they don't care and they can't. So when if I was to say to somebody that's already kind of on their knees and they have no energy, they've got their resources are gone, they're traumatized, and I tell them to go and book a massage, they look at me as if I'm a nutcase. And they're like, where am I going to fit that in? Or, or I actually can't do it now. So self-care has to be way before this. When we get to somebody that's breaking, we go, right, let's learn, let, let's learn about you. Help them be self-aware so that they can actually care enough about themselves to eat well, to exercise some more, pay attention to their sleep, yeah? Because otherwise, what we're asking people is go, can you go and look after yourself, even though I know you can't? You're asking them to do something they can't do, which only compounds how useless they feel. Wow, I've never quite heard it put like that. That's very interesting. 
And we're usually uh, shoving material down people's throats with podcast episodes or books and don't eat this and don't (laughs) eat this. Uh, But before you crack the pages of the book or even even begin to uh, examine all the all the things that are wrong with your life. um, Uh Yeah, we just got to increase self-awareness. Exactly. Because um, sometimes part of the constellation of issues that break somebody down in the first place is that they weren't aware. So it's not their fault because obviously if you're not aware, you're not aware. But to help somebody to discover all the different elements of themselves, some that they'll like and some that they won't, and that they start to build a more companionable relationship with themselves, they'll never break down in the future, right? Because they won't have, um, they won't expect that of themselves. They won't have to live at their bandwidth consistently. So I'm really careful about self-care techniques before awareness. If somebody's self-aware, you don't need to tell them about a self-care technique. They know, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a bit like going to Z before you've done the rest of the alphabet. If you go self-care only, you're missing out the element that makes self-care techniques useful, palatable, valuable. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are the most common blind spots when someone is there with uh, missing that self-awareness that's leading to poor self-care and so uh-huh. forth and burnout and you overworking? <laughs> You're going to wish you never asked that question. Oh, boy. Um, here we go, people. My, um, well, my new book is about um, inner brutality. So oh. inner brutality to self. And so the What's the title? Thing, inner Brutality by Dr. Anna Pinkerton? Yet. Oh, she doesn't have a title By the yet. way, I'm not a doctor. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm not a doctor. Okay, well, you call that in, in the U.S. Uh, someone, you know, someone who's super expert. Well, that's very nice of you. That's very sure, kind. Sure. I might borrow that. Um, the biggest thing, and I did some research, some kind of anecdotal research on my own diaries uh, last year, and 92.7% of anybody that walked through the door to do work with me in the last few years had high levels of inner brutality, which means they harangue themselves, they berate themselves, they demean themselves in thought and action and diminish themselves. And what I noticed about this was that these people easily fell out with themselves and easily felt that they let themselves down. So it meant that in a way that inside themselves, they have divorced. They are not together. They're not integrated. They're not companionable. They're brutal, cruel to themselves. They call themselves the arsehole, the idiot, the whatever, you know, and that it's so pervasive in our society that it's so big, like the pandemic, you almost can't see it. And we've assimilated it as normal. But this is the Mm. absolute key to so much illness, to be honest. Mm. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. 
I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training in all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find that um that's what the, that's the work that i do with people uh, we wow. look at what the inner brutality is saying and how you then rewire the brain to build a companionable relationship with self and then you'll never break down because right you because you'll see these warnings out. coming whoops <laughs> they uh, won't even be there because you're so yeah. companionable that yeah. you do what is right for you most of the time obviously with normal life challenges yeah right so in it so in the in the same way that i was saying that you don't need to teach somebody self-care if they're companionable to self they'll just go oh i'll have the salad i won't have the bucket of chicken and chips why is that well because i i, I like myself or i love myself even if i don't like everything about myself Right. I, I won't set myself up for uh, a, a dysfunctional codependent relationship with my asshole boss because I won't be that person that, uh, you know, take, takes steps down that path and then it, it becomes then it becomes trouble. I love it. Yeah. What you might do is you might go, oh, look, he's acting like an asshole. He's not an asshole, but he's acting like it. And I'm going to decide I don't want to be around that. I'm going to look after myself and I'm going to walk away. Yeah, or, and in my experience, gonna, yeah. the 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 person who comes off uh, strong armed in the workplace it, it mostly needs validation and is looking for whatever it is, ego stroking and, and things like that, where they will be the best version of themselves rather than the worst version. If you don't, you know, counter them with more more ammunition, you just kind of you know bring out the best in everybody by seeing what they need the most. Yeah, I mean, that is a reality. I think it's unfortunate and I think it's misunderstood that actually that's incredibly transparent behavior, right? It's very Mm. transparent behavior to somebody who's flipping out around the office and being cross all the time. They're showing their vulnerability, really. But it's not good for the person that's on the end of that because bullish behavior is bullish behavior and it hurts people. It breaks people down eventually. Um, But, and it is quite... 
I think it's quite interesting that that comes across as having a big ego, but actually they don't. They have a very fragile ego, right? So somebody that's got a nice big ego doesn't need to do that because they're looking after themselves. Give credit to other people, things like that. Exactly, exactly. So they, don't, they you know, those people with a big, solid, robust ego that, that is looking after self um, will look after others, will promote others, will go, you're doing great. Um, but the, the, the bullish person, the bullish boss can't do that because they can't do it for themselves yet. Full circle back to the inner brutality, yeah? Once they can do it for themselves, they will never demean or diminish another person. They don't need to. Jeez, it uh, reminds me of the insights from Dr. Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, where he references good science that we are 93 to 98% of the time operating from flawed subconscious programming. And these thoughts that are running through our head are 80% of them are identical to yesterday's thoughts. There's tens of thousands of thoughts that we form every single day. And then 80% of those identical thoughts are negative or 90% are negative. The, the numbers are staggering that we're just running this tape day after day after day, which is, you know, preponderance of negative, uh, I love that term, uh, inner brutality. So that's the thing that yeah. we all have to wake up to. It's, it's like a pandemic. It really is. It's way, way bigger. It's it's so, so, that's what I was saying. It's so big, you can't almost see it. You think it's normal. You think it's normal for somebody to swear and berate themselves, call themselves an idiot, like a hundred times a day. You're worthless. You have no value. You're, you're this, you're that. And it isn't necessarily just about negativity. It's about that's what the operating system is running. And nobody's doing it on purpose, right? We're out of control of what we can't know. If it's subconscious, it can't be, it's nobody's fault. But I think we have to um, become aware, be prepared to be aware, so that then you gain some control over your operating system, right? right. I, didn't, I didn't want to have an operating system that was telling me I was, had no value. So I had to be, oh, okay, I've got to become cognizant of what the wiring is saying, what it's running. Right. Very well said. I think that's nice to distinguish it that way from uh, the, the extreme examples that we've tossed out, like this self-flagellating talk where I'm such an idiot here, I'm such an idiot there. And I, I would say I never say that to myself. I'm, I'm too smiley and I'm, I'm, I'm okay and on all these different levels. But underneath the surface of that, uh, I'm doing things that I'm not even aware of that, uh, that negative bias and then have to wake up to it later where it's like, why did I do that? Why did I waste all that time uh, in that interaction that didn't serve me? And, and all those different examples that are kind of underneath that extreme uh, manifestation of, of, uh, of inner brutality. And that's, yeah. that part's really interesting because I think... Um, you know, if it's subconscious, it's not on our minds. We're busy. We're, we're super busy and, and slammed with an email inbox. We don't have that time to reflect on whether we're, you know, deficient in self-care or self-awareness. Right. Absolutely. I and mean, that's why, you know, that, again, it's reasons and not blame, isn't it? Because people, the whole point of being of something being subconscious is that you can't, you're not conscious of it. But what you can see uh, as a as a clinician, from my point of view, is you can see and hear the brutality, um, and you can often 
in the way that somebody talks and conveys their story, their experience, you get to, you get a sense. So I, I I'm quite a visual person inside here, and I can go, oh, I can see the constellation of this brutality, how it holds somebody down, or how it's now wreaking havoc with them, um, and and then what you do is you go right. This is how the brutality is playing out, and this is the same in teams, by the way. This is absolutely the centre to why teams are having issues because one person has an extremely high level of inner brutality, projects it out onto somebody else. That person has inner brutality. They think it's them. I'm not managing him very well, and so. Nobody's really talking about the wiring, of course. Who does? Except people like me. <laughs> um, you don't, if you, again, take the people away from it and say, oh, this is what, this is, this is what one person's wiring is doing to another person. And it's creating an absolute nightmare in this organization. Oh, okay. Let's look at it as though it's wiring it and let's rewire it then. And how does one begin that process of rewiring? Uh, it's about um, making a decision. I call it the vow, taking a vow towards self, where you 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 become committed and utterly dedicated to building a companionable relationship with self. So more than compassion. So compassion is passive. Companionability is is active and dynamic. So. I can have compassion to somebody on the other side of the world and go, oh, I'm really sorry they're going through that. And that's passive. I can't be a companion to them. So companionability to self is really active where you get alongside yourself and you're encouraging and supportive. And you do not demean and diminish yourself. You do not swear and berate yourself. What you do is you go, oh, that's interesting that I did that. I wonder why I did such a thing. So you become inquisitive and curious around what you do and feel rather than um, critical, which just closes you down again. The observer so, of your thoughts and your actions. The silent yeah. observer, yeah, as they say. Yeah, it's like, you, I, what I call it, it's like you look at self with a wide-angle lens. Be prepared to see what's inside. But put the companionability in first because if you don't like what you find inside here, you're going to fall out with yourself. So you've got to go, okay, I might, I might not be keen on that. But because I'm practicing companionability to self, um, I'm prepared to see, do I want to live with that or not? And once you're more self-aware, you get to choose. You know, you get to choose. Whereas if, you're, if it's not conscious to you, you're at the mercy of the wiring completely. That makes sense. Right. I imagine there's a blank piece of paper and all of a sudden it's getting filled in with all these insights that we finally are taking the time and making that commitment to self to, to put them down there. I mean, is that actually how your process might go, including written exercises? Or, or I guess a, if, you're, if you're working one-on-one with the client, they're, they're, yeah. they're uh, unloading some, uh, some, some storage off of the hard drive. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I, and I do use that, you know, I do use visuals. I do look, use pictures. I'm an art psychotherapist for a start, so I tend to. And that's how I see it. So it's, a, it's about, and, and one of them is really simple. Just put a circle on a, on a blank sheet. What do you want in your inner circle and what do you want to move for the outside? 
So you can do that in terms of your wiring. Um, do I do I always want to um, be kindly to others? Yes, I do. I'll have that in my inner circle then. Do I want to stop shouting at people? Um, uh, or, <laughs> Not necessarily. It, it depends what you want. You know, you yeah. can, you get to choose, but you can't choose if you're not self-aware. But the companionability has to be there as your 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 guide, if you like, the thing that sustains you and nav- helps you navigate that self-awareness journey. Because if you go in with the brutality and you start looking at what's inside, you're going to fall out with yourself or you're going to feel like you've let yourself down. And mm-hmm. those are the two things that we're trying to get away from. So that we'll always make mistakes. But if we meet the mistake with a companionability, we just go, okay, I don't feel so good about that. How am I going to do differently next time? Move through it. Whereas with inner brutality, what we do is go, I made a mistake. I can't forgive myself. I'm going to feel guilty for the rest of my life. I'm going to stick. And you carry that for life. And then everything becomes heavy. Uh, You carry that into anything you do. Absolutely. Right. That becomes part of your MO. So even that simple exercise of drawing the circle and then the stuff outside of the circle, and I guess you're going to, I mean, everything's in the circle when you start. And so then you're going to make a distinction. And the stuff outside of the circle is patterns that you identify or or traits or whatever it is. Um, I spend uh, late nights answering email and getting frustrated. And I I do that all the time. So I'm going to put that outside of the circle and and say that I'm going to flip the lid closed uh, as soon as I uh, feel stressed when I'm catching up on email or things like that, I suppose. Yeah, and I, and there's a really there's a deeper there's a deep um, what's the word formula that's going with that you see because a lot of people um, think that their value is based on what they do so if if so they may inadvertently open the laptop at ten thirty at night let's say because they think they're a more valuable human being if they do that so. The companionability to self means that you have value whether you're sat on the sofa staring forward doing nothing or whether you're running a multi-million pound charity. You have to be a valuable human being no matter what. It can't be contingent on anything. It can't be based on anything. Otherwise, you've given your value over to something outside of you and then you're not not doing the job of looking after self. That makes sense. Oh, it makes sense to about 99.5% of us. I don't know about over on your side of the pond, but I, I think that's the story of modern life. And um, we're all trying to extricate from that with varying levels of success and uh, continued you know, daily growth and getting up again and trying, trying to um, you know, build that, that inner self-respect so that we can, we can uh, release attachment to the outcome of what we're doing. And it's, it's pretty difficult because the world's teed up to, to measure and judge us, huh? Well, they c- and we can't do it if we've got inner brutality there. Because mm-hmm. it, it, inner brutality is either there or it, you're either your own worst enemy or you're your own best friend. And there isn't a, me- there isn't a middle ground there. And <laughs> I mean, it's just challenging work, right? Uh, it's what percentage of your your people that you've engaged with are starting with that that inner brutality 
92.7%. Right, right. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Um, oh, and actually, to be honest with you, it's very rare that you'll find a human being without it because it's, it's, it's so normalized that people have fallen out with us, particularly in the UK. Although, wow. you know, it's a big thing to demean oneself and to talk in a derogatory manner towards oneself. And, and I don't think we truly are cognizant of the impact of that on life and how that is um, really creating um, sadness and distress for the human being. We just, it's just so big. Um, but I, I, that's what my challenge is, is to write a book and a manual so that I, I can tr train people in this methodology because it works. And, it, you know, somebody could come to me with uh, trauma, imposter syndrome, poor self-esteem, self-sabotage, and doing the companionability work deals with all of it. All of it. Sure. They're going to so, leverage everything. So, so that's, for me, that it, now this is like over thousands of hours of work, it's coming to let me put the work and my energy into what's really going to help, what, 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 where this really, where the, where the core work is. And it is about turning the dial down on the brutality until till you can switch it off and then turn the dial up on the companionability so that that becomes the new normal. Because we're born like that, in fact. We're not born hating ourselves. Right, right. Yeah, we get programmed from ages zero to seven, according to Dr. Lipton and others in that research. And uh, whenever we first get criticized for doing something that didn't work out, and uh, then we start to internalize everything, and then um, pretty soon we form these rigid beliefs, and they're very hard to extricate from. Absolutely. But they're not impossible, and that's the key. That it's difficult. But it, once it's done, once you've done the rewiring, the brain goes, oh, I'll give up on that shitty old default position of brutality then. This is way better. But you've got to convince the brain to let it go. So that it tips over to, oh, I'll be companionable forever. That means I'm quiet inside. That means I live with ease. That means I live with contentment in a way that I never have. So you've got, but you've got to convince the brain. Yeah, it's tricky. It's a, it's a wrestling match for a while. Uh, and how do you facilitate that exercise? I, you have patience. So what I do is I help people understand what the circuitry is saying. Again, it's not you. This was programmed in. This is the program that's running. Does it suit you? Yes, no. Oh, no. Okay, right. It doesn't suit you anymore. Right. It doesn't serve you at all. You ch check out how it does serve, if so. And then you... And then you go, right, what doesn't? What, what needs rewiring here? And then you just, over time, in conversation with the person, you, um, you look at what the core beliefs are. Are they true? Do they make sense? Do they serve you? Change the core belief. And then the brain's going, really? You can change these things that seem totally immovable? And so you're teaching the brain that actually you've got this plasticity right you can move it you can mold it see this is why i sometimes say to people it's not mindset this is not mindset it's jelly it's very wibbly wobbly <laughs> and you have to persevere to change the look of it to change to make it go oh, okay it's prepared to give it up for the better 
So for the listeners, there's some takeaway exercise we can implement. Uh, I imagine spending a few minutes every day with a journal and uh, looking at the facts versus the beliefs or something where we can build on, build some momentum to, to do this, uh, this progress from inner brutality toward companionability. Companionability? Is, did you make that yeah, word up, Anna? See, that's, no, it's the true word. Oh, okay. um, but I can, I've, I've had lots and lots of practice um, saying it. So, but I, I do think for the book, I'm going to have to find something that is a little bit easier to say. Oh, no, I like it. I, um, I, I assumed you made it up and I thought that was pure genius. So we're just going to go with that. Okay, well, I'll take it. Companionability. Why not? Companionability yeah. to self, yeah. I, I, for me, I think one of the most useful things is to train oneself to notice and be curious without judgment, which is really hard. So it, that's why I'm using the word train, to, to kind of relearn the curiosity of, oh, gosh, what, isn't it interesting that I swear at myself or I feel about this part of my life or this part of my personality or temperament I feel actually really bad about myself like that curiosity is really really helpful because it's more of a floaty I'm prepared to have a look so it doesn't scare the brain because if Mm. you go too hard on it the brain's gonna go oh I bloody love my old default I love my brutality (laughs) I love it right right the brain loves what it knows and it will keep going because it bloody loves what it knows so be curious and you kind of trick the brain then go, oh, yeah. So, so I noticed that I swear at myself when I drop something in the kitchen. All you've done is drop something in the kitchen and we all do that. So why am I demeaning myself, calling myself names about a simple little accident? So, it's, you know, you could do that all through your days, you know, or just do it for half an hour and go, oh, OK. Oh, gosh, I do. I do diminish myself. I make myself very small inside and very vulnerable. Um, I'm really mean in the way I talk. Yeah. If you say, start getting um, a, a, a sense of what that constellation of um, words are, maybe the atmosphere within. Right. Uh, every time we're in the conference room at a meeting and someone interrupts me, I go, I get fired up inside and I, I'm furious. Oh, gee. Uh, I wonder where that comes from and maybe it's my past programming or something that I can look at rather than just see who interrupted me today. Exactly. And and being able to zoom in on what the distress is that that causes and, and, and what's that attached to because it will always be attached to something. And again, without judgment, you go, oh, that's really interesting. That's because when I was eight years old, that happened. Boom. That's all you need to know. Mm. It's there for a reason. Right. It's just that the reasons and, and the programming is way out of date now. And that's why it's causing suffering now. It's just out of date. And mm. so that's why the compatibility training is so important, because the, the, the distress in the human being and the brutality just gets worse and worse through life. Mm. Partly because partly because the brain just loves it because it loves its habits but also because it gets more and more out of date. Like you said, if it was programmed in, programmed in by the age of seven or eight, but you're now uh, like 58, it's way out of date. It doesn't well, serve you anymore. When an adult acts like a child, especially in the workplace, it's like, come on, are you, this is ridiculous. It's so, it's so obvious. Yeah. Whereas what I say to them, it's a shame that you feel that way. 
what can we do to help? So you meet them where they're at. You go, okay, that must be really hard for you to keep acting like an ass because you're not getting <laughs> back what you want, really. Yeah. 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 Wow. I could see how if this uh, was th- this technology was injected into a team environment, you could have incredible transformation. Indeed. Absolutely. I mean, if companies and organizations would educate themselves around inner brutality and how that becomes outer brutality, because that's that's what happens. All brutality is made within. But the exact opposite is also true. So people that are companionable to themselves are kindly and compassionate and companionable to others because they do not need to demean another human being to make themselves feel better. Mm. Right? Smash Sure. Right. Love it, Anna. What a great message. I, I'm really inspired and I think we can uh, we can go to your website and take a quiz you mentioned. Yeah, um, on my website, which is just annapinkerton.com, it, there's a resources page. It's got um, it's got the um, burnout prevention quiz, which is the really early warning signs in terms of changing in thinking. That's you know that's really helpful in terms of like things that you might not think are um, helping you head towards burnout. <laughs> there's um, an infographic on there as well, which tells you bits about how it manifests physically as well. There's all kinds of bits and bobs in there. Okay, we're going to go visit AnnaPinkerton.com. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Great show. Yeah. Enough of the inner brutality, people. Let's progress toward companion, companionability with self. There you go. Da, 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 da. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it.